Good morning. I'm most appreciative that that God desires us to have an integrated faith. Integrated in the sense that what we do on Sunday morning and what we do on Thursday morning should be very similar in the sense that we're walking with God. Our testimony, the lives we live, the joy we have, the positive thinking, whatever it may be, needs to be something that's truly who we are. It comes from our heart. It comes from our inner being. It comes from our identity within Christ. And yet we live in a society where oftentimes we find people who do what they call siloing, where we have, this is this part of who I am, and this is this part of who I am. Or we put things in a box because we find security and safety and comfort there. And we get nervous when we have to get outside that box and face the fact that some other people do things differently than we do. This morning we had the Lord's Supper. That's part of who I am as a Christian. When I eat and I drink. And I remember what Christ gave for me. We have these this morning. This is part of who we are. We had the music as the songs were sung this morning. That's part of who we are. All of this is an experience and an expression of who I am when I follow Christ. When I say I am a Christian. Brothers and sisters, being a Christian is so much more than being a religious person. It's so much more than playing Sunday church. Being a Christian is having the values and the mind of something different than what we normally find in the world around us. Christ's mindset, Christ's values, Christ's goals, that is our desire for our lives. When I look at Philemon... Um, quite honestly, over the years, I have developed a whole series of one sermon on Philemon. I think you caught that point, And you're about to hear the one sermon. Philemon is not a massive, uh, uh, systematic theological training book. It is a letter. And yet I think even from letters we can learn things. I know I used to ask myself, why would God put such a small 25 verse letter into the the Bible? Why this little bitty story? But I do also remember when I was in seminary, we discussed the fact that anything God valued enough to put in the Word of God had value. So I went and I looked at Philemon and I would read Philemon. Every now and then you just come back and there it is again. You read it quickly and you blip on and you keep moving. Today I want us to take a few minutes just to give it a little respect. In 1999, in Asia, life was different than here. And I remember... We were using a term from the beginning at that point 
And we would refer to things and we would say that this is 921. 921. Don't forget 921. In 1991, there was an earthquake in Taiwan that devastated the island. I had moved to Hong Kong or moved from Hong Kong just a matter of five weeks previously to Taiwan. My timing is always great. You know, somehow I can always step into the middle of something that's a little bit unpredictable. And I packed up and I moved over there. Five weeks later, we had this huge earthquake. I'm there with the goal of supervising our personnel. We had a hundred personnel in Taiwan at the time, scattered all over the island in different places. The earthquake resulted in thousands, literally, of people being killed. Buildings sitting on the, on the, the most awkward of uh, positions. People sleeping in tents. Churches doing anything they could. The Buddhists and the, and the Islam, uh, Islam, Islamic churches as well as the Christian churches working together as they had never related before. It brought a very strange group of people together. The government was running around like crazy trying to get water to people. Health facilities were pushed to the maximum. Part of the problem in the main earthquake area was that the main hospital was destroyed. And so you had people that were lying in their beds that were sick previous to the earthquake who were sleeping on the street on a hospital bed. The result of all of this was we had some strategy for work in Taiwan. We had this evangelism strategy here, church planting strategy here, seminar here. All of these things that our lives had developed a great plan for and that were totally disrupted. Our plan and what God's plan just didn't seem to go together very well there. We saw this horrible thing going on. We're trying to figure out what we can do to help. And so suddenly all of our plans get set aside and we're challenged for asking ourselves how we're willing to serve and what we're willing to serve and do. What we can do to help. There was no time for long-term planning. There was time for immediate emergency planning. Of course, we also began to think about how we were going to be able to be involved in developing water systems that would last for a period of months until the government could get up to speed to be able to cover some of those needs. But at the exact same time, we were trying just to be sure we kept the people alive long enough to get to that. Sometimes circumstances bring us into the most uh, awkward of uh, experiences. We had to ask us a lot of ourselves as we evaluated our character and why we were there. Daily decisions were challenged. In 2009, we had another situation that I'll speak of in a minute. But first, 2003, I want to mention the SARS epidemic. I don't know where you were during SARS, but I know where I was. I was going to and from Hong Kong and Taiwan, which that was not the best thing to be doing. Traveling anywhere in Asia at that point was not great. But we had people in hospitals. We had people in, uh, in homes. We had people in hotels that were dealing with issues of SARS, trying to find out what they could do. 
I remember one day flying on an airplane, not because I really wanted to fly, but because I had a need to fly, because the issue in China was we had, again, we had our plans. You know, you and I do this every day. If I ask you, what are you going to do on Thursday? You probably can tell me. What are you going to be doing in two weeks? You probably can tell me. We tend to be people who have some kind of a plan. And if you have no plan, of course, the word is, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. That's one of those things we talk about often. But in fact, the challenge for us is, we have these plans. What do we do when they get disrupted? You just surrender? Sit back and start all over? To a certain degree, you do start all over. You have to start all over because everything has changed. The environment has changed. In 2003, when SARS hit, I can remember being on that plane, and there were supposed to be about 150 people on that plane. We had 14 people on the plane. And I remember one time that I I just happened to clear my throat. I didn't cough, but I cleared my throat, and I went, and I had about three people turn around and look at me. We were so sensitized, overly sensitized. The trainings that we had planned, we thought we would cancel. The people in China that I was working with in certain places said, you know, this too could be God's plan. If you're willing to come on, we're going to go right ahead because now we have more people who can come to the training." Because they don't have to go to work anymore because the, the offices don't want to open their doors. So we still met. We still had our training. Was it a safe road to go forward with that training? Was it a wise thing to do? You know, safety does not always equal the best road. Sometimes it's stepping beyond what we think of as safe that we begin to see God work in amazing ways. In 2008 and 9, we saw a lot of challenges tied to another earthquake. In 2008, 228, I remember going to a place in Chengdu. We were in and out of there all the time. And they had places like uh, Hangwang, Weichuan, Shifan, Mianyang, Pingan, Chun, and just different places there. But I remember going into one of the towns and there was a clock, kind of like what you'd think of as Big Ben in, um, Big ben in uh, London. And the uh, clock was a little bit at a, an angle, it was leaning, but it was stopped at 2.28 because that was the time that the earthquake hit in that area. When I went down the streets and would talk to the people that were there, we were beginning to put up tents. The government did a marvelous job. The Chinese government did a wonderful job putting up tents very, very quickly, getting water out to the people. Just did amazing work. At this very same time, just as we have people going to uh, Kunming, They had people coming and we had Christians going. And the government began to sort of close their eyes a little bit, knowing full well they were allowing Christians to come in to do work and to try to help the people because the needs were so urgent. 
And the streets that you would walk on in these little towns and cities had buildings that were leaning and you would start asking questions and I can remember just sitting on these nice little chairs like the ones downstairs for the kindergarten kids and sitting for hours talking to men and women who just needed to talk. They had been through the experience there and were so overwhelmed that they needed somebody that they could communicate with. Now they had no idea I was probably only understanding 80% of what they said, but they kept going. Their heart was broken. They didn't know what to do. They'd been sleeping on the streets or sleeping in a tent. And they said, the tents are wonderful for sleeping overnight, but the first thing we do in the morning is leave the tent. And they were all sitting out in front of these shops on the street. And I can remember asking questions about the buildings we were looking at. And they said, well, the problem is the government has labeled these buildings A, B, and C. A and B mean this building will be destroyed. B means possibility, uh, A meant totally destroyed, will be totally uh, uh, demolished. B meant probably. Is it, and C meant mm, a little bit of hope, but who knows. They said in the end it was something like 10% of the buildings could continue to be used in that particular area of several hundred thousand people in that, that particular city I was talking about. These people's lives, their future, their dreams, their goals, everything had been destroyed. They didn't have insurance to be able to go and depend on a new building being built for themselves. Their lives were destroyed. Their plans were destroyed. The only thing they had was their character. They had to make new decisions. New when I say new decisions, people who many, many, many times simply packed up, surrendered, and moved to another part of China. They said, this is it. This is, there's nothing here left. Today, most of us in this room are individuals who call ourselves Christians. We do this because we link ourselves to Jesus. We desire, unfortunately, sometimes to find a safe Jesus. We want a comfortable Jesus. We want one that will keep us away from troubles and struggles and issues. And yet... We say we want to have the courage to face issues. You know, you've got to choose, you've got to choose that one. Which one do you want? Do you want to have the courage and the strength to face issues, or you just want to be simply never in conflict with or in contact with issues? You know, I remember, if any of you have ever seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's, if you see it on a video, that's one way. If you've read the books, which is the way I prefer very simple story, but one of the main elements of it is to remind us that the lion is not tame. God is not tame. We try to tame him. We want him to be tame. We want him to be under control. We want him to do things our way. We want him to provide us a world. When we say, God, I pray for safety, what we usually mean is, don't let anything happen. Nothing exciting, no surprises. 
We want to smoothly go and smoothly come back and everything be fine. And yet, oftentimes, it's in our struggles, it's in our challenges that we see God carrying us through and doing miraculous things. If Jesus had prayed and just simply said, I think I'll just um, take it easy. I, I, I don't. This cross thing doesn't sound exciting to me at all. Having people beat me. You know, we're sitting here today because of Jesus' sacrifice. We're here with, with things that remind us of Christ's his actions. You know, when, when we sit here and we do this, we're talking about Him coming into a town and yet within a matter of days, He'll be crucified on a cross. That's not safe. He knew better. It was dangerous. We call ourselves Christian. Christian means a follower of Christ. How well are we doing in following Christ? Philemon, the man we're looking at today. The story, very simple. We're looking at character. Let's look at the character of Paul first, real quickly. Paul's character. This is an amazing thing because Paul, when he was in prison, sat back and said to himself, gee, I think I'm going to worry about other people. Now, I don't know about you and how you feel about it, but I know I've talked to some of the brothers and sisters in China who've been in prison for years and years and years. And they do it because of their faith, not because they're bad people. But because they could not control their tongue. They believe that people need Jesus. And they believe it enough that they are willing to be risk takers in telling people about Christ. In other words, they are true followers of Christ to the maximum even if it meant beyond safety. And I talked to these people, and they surprised me because their heart is like Paul's. You know, there is a, a certain aspect of, of cleaning that can occur when we find ourselves in a very dirty environment, when we challenge ourselves to be more. And Paul... In prison, when he could have said, oh, poor me, instead said, let's, let's think about other people. Let's think about Onesimus and see what I can do for him. I remember people in China that I've worked with like this, and they'll share their testimonies of how they're memorizing Scripture, and they were able to lead other guys in prison to the Lord and this kind of thing. And I keep thinking, I just could dream that my faith would be so focused as yours. Because I fear that I would get in prison and be saying, Oh, poor me. Oh, poor me. Oh, poor me. Paul wrote out of prison on behalf of Onesimus. He wrote, we've already read the story. It told very clearly. He wrote related to a slave. And yet, if you look at the first few verses of this particular uh, passage. Verses 1 to 3 is basically a greeting. You know, this, this particular sermon, I actually had another title that I used one other time. And I called it the letter or letter writing. Because it does teach you some interesting things about writing letters. The first three verses, he gives a greeting. 
Then he moves in verses 4 to 7. He gives thanksgiving and prayer. And he talks about how wonderful things are and how God loves them and cares for them. Verses 8 to 21, he kind of gives the content and the purpose of why he's writing. And then 22 to 25, he gives a closing. So it kind of gives you an idea. If you write a letter, you start off by encouraging people. Then you give your content and then you thank them and you, you give a continued blessing at the end and say, God will lead you forward. Now, that's a letter-writing story, but today we're looking at character. When I look at Paul's character, I see a man who understands this. He wrote with a kind of holy flattery, if you will. He wrote with a style that said, uh, I know you people are there. This is to you, Philemon. I want you to know I, I, it's to you, but it's also to the house church that you work with and a couple of other people. There are several people I know are going to read this letter because you need to read it and they need to read it and you all need to have an understanding. But I want to appeal for a kind of spiritual grace from you. Paul was a risk taker when he wrote this letter. He dared to step forward. Now, I, if I were to ask you today, give me, based on what you've seen in Paul's character from this letter alone, what are a couple of words you can think of that describe the character of Paul? What would you say? Character of Paul. He wrote this letter. What kind of person was he? Based on this letter. He was a very quiet person, obviously, because you have nothing to say at this point. That's okay. But like I said, for me, when I look at Paul's character here, I see a very brave man, a very burdened man, and a risk taker. Because he risked his own face, if you will, by writing this letter. He wrote a letter to Philemon, not knowing 100% how Philemon would respond. He knew that Philemon had the authority over Onesimus, a previous slave, actually still his slave, technically. He had the authority to punish Onesimus for his running away. But Paul said, I'm going to do everything I can in this letter to be an encourager. In this letter, I'm going to do everything I can on behalf of Onesimus, again, when Paul, in all his own right, should be focused on, oh, poor me. He was focused on, how can I help somebody else? Folks, sometimes, this is an issue for us. We seem to forget that we're not alone in our struggles. We need to spend a little bit more time realizing there are other people who are hurting, who have problems, and may need our encouragement and our help. He stepped into the situation and he said, I'm willing to help. Let's see what I can do. Because I do know, Philemon, I'll write on behalf of you, Onesimus. So the next person we look at is Philemon. Paul obviously understood Philemon. He knew who he was. He was happy that Philemon had a church meeting in his home. Now, a church meeting in a home is a very interesting thing because... On one hand, you could say the church obviously didn't, you're not going to have a whole lot of houses that would be big enough to seat as many people as we have here today. So it was not a huge church. But in order in those days to have a church meeting in your home, it meant you had to have a house at least fairly good size. So we know that Philemon was not a poor man because he also had a slave 
named Onesimus, and he had a house big enough that the church could meet there. And so he writes the letter and he says, you are the church as the body of Christ. It's a good reminder for us. Our facility should be used for serving God. I come into our church building some of the time and I look around and I see certain things and I'll go and clean this up or I'll pick up this or I'll do something. And then usually I turn my, my head and see someone else doing the same thing. Because many of you, you have an ownership for this building. It's important to you value it. We should. It's our tool for serving God. But we all know this is not the church. We are the church. Because we are the church, we can have a building to be able to use in service to Him. The church there didn't have a building. But they did have the body of Christ. And so this letter focused from Paul to Philemon very much was said, I'm sending this to you, but it's also to the whole church. I want you all to know that Onesimus has changed. He's coming back home. He is a different person than who you knew previously. He's coming back with a new mission, a new purpose. When I was in a city called, actually, interestingly enough, the city is Jolong, Gaolong. But it was in China, in the Sichuan area where the earthquake was. I remember going and talking with some house church leaders that had come in to help in that particular earthquake area. They came in and were trying to decide what kinds of ministries they could do. And then became the big issue. Do we work with the Three Self Church or not? The Three Self Church is the government church of China, the registered church of China, the one that sometimes house churches are a little nervous about because they, the house churches realize that the registered church people tend to follow the rules, sometimes even to the extreme. And the house churches are saying, no, 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 my number one rule giver is Christ, not tradition, not habit, not what the, the government says. Now, the challenge for them at that point, do we work with that registered church or not? And just like what I described a few minutes ago that happened in Taiwan, the same thing occurred there. The final conclusion was for the opportunity to help the people here, we're going to step beyond our own safety zone. We're going to run a risk, knowing full well that sometimes house church people have been turned in to the government because their names had been learned by the registered church people. And that doesn't always happen. There are some wonderful Christians in the registered church too. It's not a nice black and white, right and wrong situation. Was Paul wrong to expect Philemon to accept Onesimus back as a brother? Was Paul wrong to expect that the church meeting in Philemon's house was going to say, welcome back. We accept you now in your new status as a true follower of Christ. Now you're a brother with us. I think that was not wrong. I think that was a wonderful thing because we see spiritual depth occurring. As we look now, we've seen Philemon as he has been challenged 
And yet Philemon was challenged to, to step forward and be bold and accept what Paul had to say. Paul had assumptions about him. Then we see Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a risk taker as well. Everybody in this story is a risk taker. All of them are willing to push beyond what is safe and what is comfortable. Onesimus, who was apparently a runaway slave, had his character changed. People can change. You can change. I can change. Our church can change. Safety is overrated. Comfort is overrated. Security is overrated. Jesus being a tame lion is not only overrated, it's wrong. If we look at Christ and His testimony, look at Christ and His witness, He broke rules. He challenged the religious leadership of his day. He challenged the governmental leadership of his day. He challenged the values of other people. He accepted people that no one else would accept. He walked with people that no one else would walk with. He dined with people that no one else would dine with. We say we're Christians. How well are we doing? Onesimus, runaway slave, broke the law, ran away from his owner. Everything looked bad. Paul met him. Paul said, you know, you need to get it right. You need to straighten things out. You need to go back home. Don't worry, I'll help you to have that happen. I'll write you a letter. I'll introduce and explain the situation if you dare to go. Do you have anything in your past that you may need cleaning up? When you look at Onesimus, are there things you respect about him and wish you could be like? Do you see him as a strong, courageous follower of Christ? Or do you see him as a little silly to go back and run a risk of his life? Another character in this particular story is the church. The scripture says that Paul in his earlier verses, he says, I keep hearing of your love and trust in the Lord. He says nothing. Paul says nothing about hearing bad things about the church. He implies that negative gossip and criticism, complaining, arguing, striving for personal gains and other sins like that were just not their issue. My prayer for us is that our character as a church would be one that says Christ above all. Now, that means when it comes to the issue of who we are willing to be around, where we're willing to go, what we're willing to try in the name of Christ, we would be brave. That we would be risk takers. When I look at this story of Paul and Philemon and the church and Onesimus, in every part of this scripture I see courage, 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 and courage. It's demanded of Philemon 
It's expected by Paul. And it's lived out by Onesimus as he steps out. Today I want us to at least look at our own lives and ask, what kind of a Christian am I? Let's pray. Father God, we come together as a family, recognizing that we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, that there's none in this room that fully understand all that we should be. And yet, Lord, we recognize that you desire to bless us because of our courage in following you. We would ask that in our lives, you would make us more than what we can be in and of ourselves, in Jesus' name.